Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Franklin and Herbie from Franklin Richards' Son of a Genius. And joining us for the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Franklin Richards and Herbie the Robot are two of my favorite characters. (laughs) They're so good. For anyone who's not familiar, Franklin Richards' Son of a Genius was, depending on the issue, written by Mark Sumerak and Chris Eliopoulos, and drawn and lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, or it was all done by Chris Eliopoulos in some some issues, with with a different colorist. Again, depending on what issue, it bounced around quite a bit, uh, the colorist, I think. Um, And this is a Marvel comic book that tells the story of the son of the Fantastic Four, uh, two members of the Fantastic Four, Mr. Fantastic and Invisible One. They have a son named Franklin. And imagine Calvin with access to superpowers and super inventions. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. And that is what... It's, it's very, very Calvin and Hobbes. Yes, with a, a bit of peanuts, which we'll get to when we talk about, you know, after. Yeah, after I would enough. like they, they play with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Chris Aliopoulos knows what he's doing when he's doing these. Yes. And it's just a delightful series. Um, like, it's not one that I need all the time. But I've never been disappointed by one that I've read. And uh, do you remember when you first started or, or, or read any of the Franklin Richards, Andrew? I honestly, I think this is the first time I actually read any of it. I'd definitely been exposed to some of the imagery from it. So maybe I had read one of the small ones because like there's shorter segments than than even a standard comic book. I'd say they probably would have fit like three or four of these little segments into a comic book. Yeah, it actually did start as a backup feature in Marvel Comics. So just in, a, okay. in you know, in, in in a week, every Marvel comic that was published had, you know, a two page Franklin Richards and Herbie story in the back. Um, yeah, because because they're really like five pages tops mm-hmm. um, and, and small pages at that. Um, and so I, I maybe had read a little bit, but not a collection. Yeah, the, those started like in 2005 is what I think I read that they were the backup feature. And then they were so popular that they were given kind of um, quarterly individual issues that um, a lot for slightly longer stories than you know, the very short backup features. But even then, like with a full issue was never an entire story. It was always three mm-hmm. or four stories, maybe even five. And and they've done a number of things like this. So there's this, there's um, the mini Marvels. I've got a couple of the collections of those. They, um, didn't they've they done, do a um, um, bull, bullpen bits mm-hmm. was a thing. Didn't they do a, like a pet Avengers with uh, kind of like this style? I don't know if they, I don't know if I ever saw that one. I know they did an actual pet Avengers miniseries okay maybe like a full-on miniseries (laughs) uh yeah but it's one of those like completely out of continuity not concerned with what's going on in the marvel universe just drop in and see franklin richards get into some antics and herbie the robot uh gets to panic (laughs) and be Mm -hmm. uh try to be the voice of reason but be completely ignored uh by franklin in this process so as i noted with and go ahead uh, when you mentioned the the science bit. I'm trying to think of like the various inspirations. Like this fits into, you know, a not a genre or a subgenre, but like 
when you're reading it, you're like, oh, okay, these are familiar things, but it's still fun and, and its own thing. Um, and I just realized like, like Dexter's lab with all the science stuff kind of mm-hmm. um, elements to it. So if they were going to do a cartoon version of it, which they totally could, I think it'd be a great addition to the Marvel cartoon lineup. Um, you know, it, it'd probably be kind of Dexter's lab esque. Yeah. And, and this does feel like it would really be ripe for uh, like Disney plus animated shorts. Uh, just mm-hmm. having fun in the Marvel universe. Five, five minutes. Yeah. Uh, maybe once the Fantastic Four are more integrated into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and more familiar with the general audience, I could see them pivoting into this um, as, uh, you know, an area to to exploit for for that kind of animation, you know, quick hit animation bit, which they did. Like, mm-hmm. like they did a lot of very short comedic Star Wars things uh, when Star Wars having it was having its wave of uh, merchandising with the the new trilogy and um so like i said maybe this is something that they might turn to uh it definitely feels right for that for, for an animated adaptation uh and chris Eliopoulos's art style in this is just so uh cartoony and uh appropriate for for 2d animation translation yeah i i really can envision a version of this that is you know, five minute episodes adapting some of these stories or or they could go longer i don't think it would sustain like a 22 minute narrative you'd have to like split it into two segments of 10 minutes each but like it fits that that kind of animation storytelling genre where it's like these are small bits um it kind of strings together you've got enough to tell a three-act structure if you want or you can do it kind of as a one-act structure yeah so some trivia about this series and the character franklin richards in the main marvel Continuity. Franklin Richards first appeared in 1968's Fantastic Four Annual Number Six, and was a character created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee for the Fantastic Four. And he, um, because there's the the strange issue of time and and maturation in the Marvel universe, where on the one hand they want these characters to be static, but once you introduce a baby, like it does feel weird if it's a baby for a decade. Uh, Franklin Richards has since 1968 aged i would guess like 13 14 years uh um he like currently he could be as old as 15 or so mm-hmm. which would be a little bit off from like the standard marvel timeline continuity i think well it might be about right actually so i'd say like typically they would say from from the mid 60s the marvel universe has progressed 10 to 15 years, depending on which character you're looking at. If it's Spider-Man, it's about 10 years. Mm-hmm. If it's the Fantastic Four, it's 15 years. Yeah. Um, um, and so they, they're not all aging at equal rates. Yeah. So even when in this series, Franklin feels like he's like five. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is this is you know a young kid. Uh-huh. And uh, at the time that these were being released, it was more just about like the idea of Franklin Richards getting up to mischief more than like an analog to where you would have seen Franklin Richards at all in, in the fantastic four. Um, it's, it's a younger version that would have existed in those, um, you know, early two thousands when these were being made. So Franklin Richards, son of a genius was periodically released as a humor comic between 2005 and 2009 and completely out of continuity drawn. Like the style is much more like a, a, a newspaper comic strip than a Marvel comic book or a superhero comic book is traditionally. 
Um, there's the familiar house style for Marvel or DC and Calvin and, or, or uh, Franklin Richards does not align with that at all. And uh, as I said, it started out as those backup comic strips uh, that would be in. So you pick up an issue of X-Men and they're, you know, at the very back next to the letters page, there might be this two page Franklin Richards story. And then it became um, this series of one shots. Uh, and the first one shot was nominated for an Eisner Award. And I do also just want to acknowledge Chris Eliopoulos is a prolific letterer in comic books, as well as a busy artist. Um, like when you look up his lettering credits, uh, it is phenomenal <laughs> how much work that he has done uh, through through the decades as a professional. And uh, even to the point where I saw that um, as they went to more uh, computerized lettering rather than hand lettering, uh, he designed the the like the font for like the the Marvel Star Wars line of comics. He he designed. Uh, you know, it's, it's based on his, his stylized handwriting. <laughs> I was going to say once, once you said that um, they were digitizing things, it was like, oh, so he probably did some of the font preparations. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I saw it specifically mentioned for the Marvel Star Wars line of comic books, um, which like famously, uh, like the comic sans font that people uh, complain about that is, um, oh, uh, co- it's a co-creator what- of Watchmen. Yeah, I was going to say it, uh, Dave Gibbons. It's his handwriting. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's Watchmen. And I think people say, people refer to the Dark Knight Returns mm-hmm. um, for for that lettering. But like Watchmen specifically, which it's also like it is what comics generally have looked like. Yeah. But it, in the in the lettering, it's amazing that it is literally like his handwriting is a font. <laughs> There's very few people that I know can say that uh, at least one that has like reached the mainstream to the level comic sans, sans has like we're saying Chris Aliopoulos mm-hmm. like in house for Marvel. So his his handwriting is uh, a font. Uh, the, the art of lettering comics is something that I think is really underappreciated, whether it is the classic hand done style on top of the art or the digital digital like when you get to bad lettering it's so obvious like ideally you don't ever notice it um when it's being done right uh so so it really only ever stands out when it's being done poorly and chris eliopoulos is considered like one of the best uh, in the world of lettering we should keep that in mind when we're talking about it because it would probably be worth talking especially with someone like chris eliopoulos doing it about what the lettering does in this comic book that might not be the most riveting conversation for an audio medium but like when you look at good lettering it it makes a difference right like he plays with with sizes and boldness in a way that not everyone's going to even bother with yes definitely. and it has an impact in the storytelling um and i just want to say about chris eliopoulos he may be most well known outside of comic book uh, world uh for a series that he draws with brad Meltzer writing um called ordinary people change the world which is a series of children's books about famous individuals in history and it has been adapted into a pbs kid show called xavier riddle and the secret museum and so if you've ever seen any xavier riddle in the secret museum that's uh very similar to the art style that you see um in in franklin richards because it's you know it's based on character designs from chris heliopolis all right before we move on to the summary of the various stories we're going to talk about we want to thank you for downloading this episode and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on patreon if you'd like to support us financially we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist podcast and support our show with at least a dollar per month all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts 
which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose the topic for us to discuss. Feel free to do the or more if you're considering donating to the podcast. Um, these stories, as Andrew noted, are very short. So I have summarized, how many did I do? Like five, I think, um, that I think capture a lot of the tone that we'd get. The first one is called Field of Screams. Uh, Franklin is struggling on his Little League baseball team, so he steals some impacto kinetic amplification gel from his dad's lab. And his dad, Mr. Fantastic, is, think, absent-minded professor, which is the way he's portrayed in the comics generally. But turn that absent-mindedness up to 11 for this particular series because Franklin's always just like rummaging around his dad and grabbing the most dangerous equipment in the lab and it's just like okay son because he's looking at some experiment and he rubs this uh, kinetic impacto kinetic amplification gel onto his bat Herbie the robot points out that this will only help if Franklin actually connects with the ball which he has never done after six strikeouts it's the top of the ninth inning and Franklin does connect with the bat uh, the ball and hits a home run after running the bases a teammate teammate gives him a high five because Franklin still has some impacto on his hand this causes an explosion and they get Looney Tunes style ash all over themselves after the smoke clears in the outfield so now we're into the bottom of the ninth Franklin is worried uh, that he can't get the gel off of his hand when a ball that would be the last out is hit straight to him Franklin is able to catch it but an explosion happens because he still has gel on his hand and in the explosion he drops the ball the other team wins the game all right, the next one I'm going to do is called Squid Kid. Franklin is excited to do his homework. I loved Squid Kid. <laughs> when Squid Kid showed up, I was like, this is this is the stuff for those animated features. Get me Squid Kid. <laughs> yes. It's just like, okay, we got some rhyming happening uh, with some obvious superhero names. It's like when you get Squirrel Girl. It's like, well, why didn't we have Squirrel Girl in the 1940s? Why did it take us so long to land on Squirrel Girl? Um so Franklin is excited to do his homework, which worries Herbie because Herbie knows Franklin and this is not normal behavior. Of course, Franklin isn't excited to read books or do research for his homework. He has to write a paper about the giant squid and he plans to take the Fantasta sub to search the ocean for a giant squid. Herbie comes along to try to dissuade Franklin from doing anything foolish. But once they are in the ocean, a giant squid does attack the Fantasta sub and they are in danger of sinking until a smaller squid wearing a superhero shirt. <laughs> it's a squid wearing a shirt with a little uh, like like a clamshell logo. Yeah, uh, it doesn't make any sense. On his shirt. No, no explanation is ever given as to why this squid, this smaller squid shows up. Uh, and this smaller squid attacks the giant squid. When the Fantasta sub escapes, the smaller squid hitches a ride on it. Franklin complains to Herbie that, uh, so, so now we jump ahead a couple days, and Franklin complains to Herbie that his teacher didn't believe his story about going into the ocean. But he can't wait for show and tell, because he's going to bring in Squid Kid, the superhero squid who saved him and is now living in a bathtub. Uh, and that will be his show and tell to prove his story was true. The end. So the, the, the character design on Squid Kid is fantastic, like you said. Mm-hmm. And if they had done any explanation of Squid Kid's origins, I wouldn't care. I don't want it. <laughs> I just want it to be that there's it happens to be a squid that is a superhero in the ocean. Um, ocean Ape Escape. Franklin orders a packet of ocean apes from the back of a comic book. Um, classic. Uh, I, were, were sea monkeys still being advertised in comic books when you started reading them, Andrew? It's hard to know if it really was, or if there was just parody that I was aware of. Yeah, it's definitely because because I certainly got a cycle of comic book advertisements that were parodies of comic book advertisements. Yeah, and you kind of are learning the original through the mm-hmm. lens of uh, like the adults now making fun of the things they read as a child. 
which is exactly what this one is. Um, so if anyone doesn't know, for our younger listeners, uh, in the backs of comic books, or I'm sure in other magazines, they would sometimes advertise sea monkeys, which um, would, in the picture, looked like um, like anthropomorphic creatures with arms and legs, almost like monkeys that lived in the ocean and said, buy these, this will mail you a pack of sea monkey eggs or whatever. I can't remember how they, they worded it. Uh, and you put it in a fish tank and then you'll see it. And when you got it, it was this little powder. And if you put it in it, it didn't grow at all. And like, supposedly there were like living tiny krill or something that was now alive in your water that they were calling sea monkeys, but it felt like a ripoff. So anyway, Franklin orders ocean apes. Uh, and uh, he can't wait to grow them in a fish tank. They come, uh, but he is disappointed by the tiny specks that are now floating in the water. So he goes to get some of his dad's growth powder to sprinkle onto the ocean apes. He runs by his dad, who is running some tests on Squid Kid. Squid Kid, uh, and this is, the, the way these panels work, like it's it's uh, like several horizontal panels, panels stacked on the page where, it's, where we're just seeing Mr. Fantastic and Squid Kid in a tank. And like Franklin runs by, with the powder and then Franklin's going to run back the other way. And he's being chased by a gigantic ocean ape who is running after Franklin and squid kids going to jump out of the, the tank. But Mr. Fantastic is not going to notice any of this. So it's like, we're getting the same background shot, but we get this, um, you know, comedic pacing of what's going on behind Mr. Fantastic's back that he's completely unaware of squid kid fights ocean ape. Uh, however, once they're, uh, it's squid kid incapacitates ocean ape they they realize they're in love and we get like cartoony uh, heart eyes and hearts floating over yeah uh and so then squid kid and ocean ape fly off into the sunset in a fantastic car herbie says he hopes franklin has learned how disappointing it can be to mail order cheap products but franklin is already eyeing a pair of x-ray glasses in the back of his next comic book uh turkey trouble franklin and herbie accidentally walk through a dimensional portal <laughs> That's just the whole premise. Just, just cause. <laughs> just no explanation. And they end up in a world where everybody is a giant turkey. Uh, so like the dominant species are giant turkey turkeys. And uh, he's in the turkey version of the Baxter building where the Fantastic Four headquarters are. So in this dimension that he's entered, there is a turkey version of Mr. Fantastic that asks human Franklin if he'll stay for their Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, Herbie and Franklin uh, are then put into stasis fields and Franklin realizes, oh no, I am the Thanksgiving dinner. Then Turkey Franklin run, wants to play with his food and cut, runs in and releases the stasis field. Human Franklin and Herbie run back to their dimension uh, through the dimensional portal that's still just there and they get back to their normal dimension. It is Thanksgiving uh, and so he has Thanksgiving with his family, but when the turkey is brought out, Franklin is not sure he can eat any. And then fantasy football. Invisible woman, uh, Franklin's mom, wants him to stop watching TV and go outside to play with the neighborhood kids. Uh, he does go out after much whining and he gets hit in the face with the football and Franklin decides he's going to make his own football team to defeat the neighborhood kids. So he puts a bunch of his toys like a, a T-Rex, a Transformer, a Spider-Man toy and so on onto a pad in his dad's lab. He programs the machine to grow the toys, bring them to life and program them with all the plays from NFL teams except the Dolphins because they're awful. But... <laughs> When these toys come to life, they just want to tackle Franklin because he's the one holding the football. So Frank, Franklin and Herbie run around barely dodging the tackling efforts of this new supersized uh, football team that he has created until Franklin can put the ball back down onto the pad. When all the players uh, jump onto the pad, he uses the machine to turn them back into his toys. When Invisible Woman asks Franklin why he's back to watching violent cartoons on TV, he says that TV is way less violent than playing football. The end. So there's the delightful, charming, kind of short uh the adventures of franklin uh and i think there's a good range of different kinds of comedy one thing that i noticed is like when we do the turkey trouble story um it felt like the only reason this existed was so that chris eliopoulos could draw turkey versions of the fantastic four 
because it is a fantastic mm-hmm. sight gag to have the thing, you know, the, the rocky orange skin of the thing. But he's turkey shaped. But he's turkey shaped and he, he, he's a turkey. And it, it just works as a visual gag that just makes you want to chuckle. Well, and I think that one's it, like, I don't know to what degree it's a commentary. And it like it very well may have been published inside some of the like Marvel apes series that have occurred where there's an alternate dimension and it's all the Marvel characters, but they're they're monkeys. And so, you know, Spider Monkey and Iron Monkey and um, Captain Ape America, I think. Um, that sounds right. <laughs> and and so I think it might have been like. Oh, well, they're publishing that. It's Thanksgiving time. I'm going to do a Franklin Richards where it's all turkeys. And like you said, if if you're going to find a theme in any of them, it would be that one maybe has like a vegetarianism, uh, you know, goading or, or like maybe. Uh, hinting. Um, but at the same time, it still has the same rhythm, which I think is a little interesting of um, Franklin, like never winning. <laughs> He never actually comes out on top in any of these adventures. And in this case, he's kind of ruined his Thanksgiving dinner. The only difference I think would you could say is um, if it is hinting towards the audience towards any vegetarianism, and I have zero idea if Chris Eliopoulos is a vegetarian. I, I'm not trying to say that that was an agenda at all. It's just, you know, one thing you could maybe pull out. This is probably the only one where Franklin actually learns a lesson. Yeah. Um, I mean, most of them have the kind of like standard one-off lesson of, mischievous child like gets what's coming to him um you know like he he makes his own mess Mm -hmm. um or or makes his bed and now he has to lie in it kind of effect where it's like okay you've caused mischief and that ended up being way more trouble than just doing your chores the way you were supposed to i'm there's probably i mean you gave me two collections and i'd say there's what maybe two or three dozen stories total between the two of them um and I'd say there's probably like five or six where it's like, I'm going to use this to not do my chores or to not do my homework. And then it backfires. Yeah, that does feel like a, a fairly common uh, storyline that, that does happen. And but even within that, I don't think we really are getting Franklin learning the lesson. Like, it's, no, that's that's the that's the thing uh, I, I meant to say is like, even if that is like a one off story that you get, like he doesn't learn that lesson. Like Franklin is not growing through this process and developing. He is just. You know, in this adventure, I'm trying to going to do I'm, I'm going to try and do a thing and we will see what happens. And then he's not going to come out on the other side, having learned that what he did was a poor decision. He's not going to be any wiser for having had his his terrible experience. That was all his fault. And I'm thinking about this because, like I said, there is some of the visual elements of this, like the the, the way that he draws Franklin does remind me a little bit of, of Peanuts and Charlie Brown. Like you get the mm-hmm. very large head and this, you know, the smaller body, which is also something you see in Calvin and Hobbes. It's a very, uh, you know, it's not an uncommon element to see in newspaper comic strip cartooning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that idea that, you know, Franklin never actually gets what he wants and doesn't learn a lesson. It does feel a little like, Lucy pulling the the football away from Charlie Brown, but it, oh, if only if Charlie Brown was pulling the football away from himself. Yes, uh, <laughs> but it does not have at all the melancholy of Charlie Brown, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like it. It's not dour or depressing at all. Like it's not um, abiding commentary on modernity and the I, way that some peanut stuff is. And I think for the. Um, for what one thing that works about him not ever learning a lesson is uh, more so even than 
the real, uh, you know, the core Marvel universe. This is a world where there should never be any progression. Like this should be the Simpsons that every time you visit mm-hmm. Franklin Richards in this version of him, he is the five year old and his his mom and dad haven't aged, <laughs> you know, his, his, uh, Johnny and, and the thing, you know, the human torch and the thing um, haven't, haven't grown at all. It's just the world every single time. I mean, I, like the only the only ones that I can remember that definitively do have like a direct relationship and would therefore have some sort of chronology is Squid Kid one and Squid Kid two. Yeah, and and that's not you know, like, like a continuity altering event. <laughs> yeah, and so so all the rest of them is like uh, these could be you know placed out of order. They could be in any particular order, and I don't think there's a significant difference. I don't think he refers back to it's like well you know the last time I I did this. You know, and he's using the same device or science gadget or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And and like his dad never learns to put a lock on his lab <laughs> or keep an eye on what Franklin's doing when he runs into the lab. And yeah. His his parents are as suspicious 10 stories in as they were in the first story. They're like, Franklin, you're going to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel any more suspicious having seen him get into trouble. Do you have any thoughts on why that like consistent failure, Franklin, uh, you know, the, the, the comeuppance or, or the not actually getting what he wants, why it's always funny. Cause it does work as a story beat. Uh, and the, I, I think for comedy in general, this is a, you know, there's a character type that, that this happens to, mm-hmm. uh, and it certainly, you know, is not being invented at all, but why do you think it is something that we kind of enjoy as an audience? Um, I think there's a couple of factors that that go into it. Like one is it's like a very typical like pride before the fall. Mm-hmm. And so he has this brashness, like confidence isn't the right term because it's not confidence in any actual ability. It's just like, I'm going to go do this thing. Um, and I'm not even going to consider whether or not I could or couldn't be successful with it. Um, so there's no there's no like idea in his head about success or failure. It's kind of like pure experience. Mm hmm. Um, even though like he intends to be successful and he fails every time, but it, it has no impact on him. And so I think like there's, I feel a little satisfaction in the idea that he's getting taken down a peg for being arrogant and arrogance, not exactly the right phrase, but, but it feels like, uh, there, there's a sense of justice in this not yeah. working out because he's transgressed. Just, yeah. Some, the justice is good. He's, he's transgressed common sense and his parents rules and Herbie's logical guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so therefore his hair should grow out of control um, in this, in this, you know, in a given story. And then, um, but then he's also like, he's not particularly harmed by it. And so it's not like it's done emotional damage to him, which is where you would start to feel remorse or something, you know, something beyond comedy would, would happen if you felt like he actually suffered for it but it's really it's like no this is a waste of time and it's inconvenient but he's no worse off yeah i i, I like that um, um but it, but if he were sad then i'd be i'd be like oh man like won't you just learn and i'd have some sort of frustration sympathetic frustration to it but he's really just like well that one didn't work the way i thought it was going to work <laughs> what's next and then it, yeah and it's like okay well tomorrow's a new day and i'll do something else and um and that kind of seems to be like the the net neutrality of the <laughs> overall story is like well this is just how it went and he's not worse off he hasn't learned anything from the experience but he d- but he's not worse for the experience either 
and like for younger readers, I will say like my my boys who are at this point uh, nine, seven, and five, they've shown no interest in like reading my superhero comic books, like my my collections of Spider Man or anything. But they have read all of my Franklin Richards. Like it does, they've read all my Calvin Hobbes. So it definitely, you know, falls into that vein and I can hear them laugh. Like I, I hear their giggles <laughs> when they're reading it. And uh, it, so it's something that even from a very young age that, you know, it, it doesn't feel like, uh, it doesn't feel like he's being punished in a way that uh, for my kids sense of justice is wrong, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Because my kids do like if they feel like even for a fictional character, it's not fair. Like they get angry about it not being fair. <laughs> what, mm-hmm. You know what's happening, um, and something about Franklin Richards, uh, you know, constant uh, efforts that that fall short, and the the ways that um, you know the last panel is often uh, like just one more little coda of him. Uh, you know, something reminding him how much he messed up or how poorly it went or or, um, you know, s- some one more consequence uh, to the story that he just had. It's still it's still funny to my kids. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that one with like the the baseball one, mm-hmm. you know, that one's like, OK, he's kind of trying to cheat, but it's not too bad. And then it's like, OK, well, it's backfiring on him some, but it's also not too bad. Mm hmm. And so it's it's kind of like it equalizes. Maybe maybe that's what it, like we're seeing the as you said the justice, the justification, the the universe balancing itself. It's it, like this is karma in evidence. Yeah, is yeah like Franklin does a thing, the universe balances it out, and then I don't need to feel bad because nobody's worse off. Nobody, you know, like you said, there's no unfairness. And he didn't steal a championship from another team by cheating or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it came back to bite him, and it's probably the same outcome that would have happened. Yes, <laughs> that's that's another thing. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Herbie. Um, this I was, robot. I, I was going to bring up Herbie. Sidekick, who I, I forgot to put in the trivia, first appeared in a Fantastic Four cartoon in the 1970s, uh, where they had Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, though it might have been Invisible Girl at the time. I can't remember what they called her in that in that particular uh, animated version. Uh, and the thing, and then instead of the Human Torch, they had inserted um, Herbie, this this talking robot as a member of the Fantastic Four. floating talking robot. And because of the obvious ans- absence of the fan- uh, of the Human Torch from the Fantastic Four, um, like urban legends around why the Human Torch wasn't in this cartoon have cropped up. And I still, like, I remember hearing these, uh, you know, that, that they omitted the Human Torch because they worried kids were going to light themselves on fire. Um, but it turns out that um, a movie studio had optioned the rights just to the human torch and not the whole fantastic four for a potential movie and in the seventies and that option hadn't run out yet. <laughs> so they couldn't use him legally um, uh, for, for the cartoon. So they had to create a new member of the fantastic four. And rather than, you know, inserting another person, uh, you know, human character with powers or anything, they just, they just added a robot to the team. Um, and uh, so Herbie, I, I don't know when he first actually appeared in the comics. I feel like some other, creators have kind of played with the idea of Herbie since that, that cartoon, like as a reference. But to I, I don't know if it's been like extensive. I don't know if he would be like a character. Yeah. I think he's just kind of like, he's, he's more like a Butler. Oh, I found, okay. There's a list on, uh, oh, okay. On Wikipedia it says, uh, so fairly early on, they dropped him into an issue in 1979. So pretty much right after the cartoon, they just went ahead and dropped Herbie in. And then he made like periodic appearances, through the the next two or three dozen issues of Fantastic Four. And then since then, it's kind of like every 10 years or five or 10 years, someone's like, okay, I'm doing a, <laughs> I'm bringing in Herbie. 
<laughs> just for this one issue. Yeah, like I said, you know, it doesn't seem like he's actually been featured. This is probably his most extensive run as a character. Is it in this Franklin Richards? Stuff? Looking at this list, I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, mo- most of the references to his appearances in Marvel Comics are these uh, Franklin Richards series. Um, he, he has not been elevated to the status of some of the other robot characters in the Marvel Universe. I don't think he was in uh, like the Avengers robot team. That's right. They did like an Avengers AI, which is all robot characters. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't I bet Herbie doesn't even get mentioned in that. What a shame. Ugh, missed opportunity. Um, but in this comic, the version that we get is kind of like the exasperated uh, nanny <laughs> uh, that is trying to keep Franklin in line, but also is not the parent. So doesn't feel like he has the end of the authority. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, uh, like, you were told that you shouldn't do this. I can't stop you from doing this. And then I will intervene if it gets dangerous. And this is a bad idea. I will tell you this is a bad idea. And I will sigh, even though I'm a robot that can't sigh. (laughs) When you continue to ignore my of A lot of reactions coming from Herbie. Like, I'm picturing at least three different times, and I'm sure there's more, of, like, arms up in the in the air wide eyes like what are you doing <laughs> and like the the eyes which are you know glowing lights on his face like leaving his face like the eyes mm-hmm. are actually above the physical helmet the, you know uh helm version of it, of his head because you know, it, 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 with cartoons you just have fun uh with breaking those laws of physics uh i found one inside the first squid kid <laughs> um, when the squid attacks you have a, a herbie like shocked face with his eyes extending beyond the scope of his head and one thing that I think is interesting is uh, you're going to mine comedy from this contrast of uh, Franklin's brashness, his lack of concern, and Herbie's overt concern. Uh, you know, I'm sure Franklin would say too much concern that um, Herbie has. And because of like the different energy levels that these two characters have, you almost I, I think it's almost tempting to describe them as like the the, the comic relief in the straight man. But neither of them are really like, doing like punch and setup and reaction. Uh, punchline mm-hmm. setup and reaction uh, or, or anything like that at all, um, which is what the classics, you know, straight man is there for, for the setup for the, the comic character to give the punchline and then the reaction from the straight man. Uh, so it's not really that kind of comedy, but it's still playing with the very different attitudes that these two characters have and mining that contrast for comedy for the reader. Yeah. So in, in that kind of regard, like, and it's not the dynamic that they have in like Herbie, you know, criticizing him and, and telling him what to do and what not to do. But in the, in the dynamic of their comedy, like it's kind of like Herbie's on board, <laughs> you know, once things are happening, he's like, well, we're in this and we're in it together. Like he, he's not going to abandon him mm-hmm. at all. And so there is a, like a camaraderie um, degree where it's like, Oh no, like Herbie doesn't have anything else going on. So like Franklin's his best friend. Yes. And he's going to tag along, even if he thinks it's a bad idea. And then, you know, I want to take something back. I said about my own analysis of this. I said that, you know, Franklin has the more uh, bold energy and and Herbie's a little calmer. Once things start to go wrong, that flips. And Herbie is more frantic than Franklin. 
mm-hmm. um, and, and is is the more emotional of the two because Franklin's still trying to make it work and is somehow in his head convinced, no, this is still going to work out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so he's like, yeah, everything's under control. Hey, like this, this is exactly as I planned. Uh-huh. And, and Hervey's like, you know, they're they're out of control. They're they're running wild. You you've you've unleashed, uh, you know, a horde or what you know whatever it may be that Franklin has happened uh, to have done. And and Hervey is is definitely the the more emotionally panicked of the two at that point yeah and so until anything happens herbie is the thinker and franklin is the feeler Mm -hmm. and then as soon as things are happening then herbie is feeling and franklin is thinking about how to get through it and i think does that does that sound pretty consistent it does yeah i like i like that um and i think there is something that is inherently funny to this um you know little cartoon robot freaking out (laughs) And mm-hmm. back to Chris Eliopoulos's, uh lettering that, that we mentioned, uh, the the way that he draws Herbie's dialogue when he's freaking out, uh, which my you have the the issues in front of you, I don't um, right now. My memory is like somehow he he gives it a robot voice in the kind of lettering that he chooses. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a a firmer angle yeah. to the lettering, and, and you you sense like the volume going up when he's panicking because he gives it the larger font, and sometimes the words are escaping the edge of the word balloon, and he gives it bold coloring when it's going to be block lettering for um, you know a real moment of panic. Uh, so all these little touches in the lettering end up changing the way you read the entire page, uh, like, like the tone is being delivered through this lettering. Mm-hmm. You know, as I'm looking through some of these. I'm actually starting to notice that like maybe our, I don't know if it's just like not terribly consistent or, or maybe they evolved into knowing what the, what, what Herbie and Franklin should do as they react to something. But I'm looking at several of them and as things are getting wild, Herbie is actually like very calmly coming to a decision about what should be done. It's like, like I'm like, I'm looking at one where Franklin created a bunch of jello clones to go, trick-or-treating for him so maybe there's some variance in the in the and <laughs> and and so he's lost control of it and he's freaking out he's like what am i going to do with all these jello clones and then herbie's just like i'm going to the kitchen all i'm right. going to get some water i'm going to take back my take back and i'm going to do and one so, more so, like i don't know here's here's my and, new take but the, yeah i'm like it's, are they going back and forth is it mm-hmm. some is it earlier ones versus later ones no because I, I felt like i felt like herbie definitely freaked out so I didn't. As re- things were getting wild. Yeah, I didn't before. reread the whole thing. I only read the, read these ones that I handed you, which I kind of it was, it was as much my kids wanted me to talk about those ones as anything else. But also, we're going to be releasing this in November. These were several fall themed uh, ones, you know, with football and baseball and and uh, and Thanksgiving. So so those those felt right anyway. But now my new take. So third try, <laughs> they have the race to panic. Whichever one panics first, the other one has to stay calm. It's the parenting tag team when both of your like emotional resources are depleted and, you know, the kids have like like that one last thing that breaks one of you. The other one can't break anymore. <laughs> like, like one of the parents is like, I can't. And the other one now has to calm down, even though they might have been right on the edge a second ago. Uh, that is Franklin and Herbie's relationship. So whichever one of them panics first, the other one must remain calm. Hmm. I'm I'm glancing through and trying to find evidence to support that. Um, <laughs> Again, I, I didn't reread really the whole series, uh, you know, which you can do at this point. Like it was only published for that five uh, was a five year window. So there's not, uh, but so many, I, there definitely could be more. I would read more if they made more. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's an interesting theory where it, 
And that would be really satisfying to have both characters have freak out times. And then for the other one to have to be calm, you know, as a response. Oh, I do enjoy that I've been wrong uh, and right uh, and then wrong and then right. <laughs> you know, like my analysis is a little all over on this one. I'm feeling just a hint under the weather tonight, uh, but I'm going to I'm gonna stand by most of what I've said, or at least the final conclusions that I've reached. That's one thing I like. Uh, so I don't always know what we're going to say when we when we get into these discussions, but I feel like we often land. That's something satisfying to take away. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it really is just like cute and enjoyable. <laughs> And I think for for Marvel Comics and and blending this trope of the mischievous child, which is everywhere, um, it works yeah, so it's, well. It's Dennis the Menace. It's um, Calvin and Hobbes. It's all of those things. Yeah, and so many Saturday morning cartoons uh, through the years that that have done this. It works so well to blend that with like uh, Mister Fantastic's lab. So we're gonna have the scamp getting up to hijinks. But what the hijinks are, like the world of possibilities, is now so wide open. Which, like in Calvin and Hobbes, you got that with his imagination, right? You know, where, okay, now he's he's a dinosaur for this one. He's Stupendous Man for that one. He's Spaceman Smith for this one. So you can get, like, a play with all these genres of story in Calvin's imagination. In this version of that kind of thing, it's just um, anything could be in the lab. And Franklin can misuse it. <laughs> Or or get side effects from it. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many that that are side effects. You know, it's not that he's like misused it or really misunderstood it. It's just that he hasn't respected science. <laughs> uh, it, it really is just a fantastic blend, though, for this established narrative universe of Marvel comics and this established genre of uh, you know the the kid the troublemaking kid for comedy. Uh, you put those together and it allows for something that feels playful of both, you know, like it's playing in both worlds. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason why I think like this one could really be a, a really solid adaptation at some point. Uh, now, especially now that the wider audience is just so familiar with superheroes in general. Uh, and at some point, Marvel has heavily hinted they will become <laughs> more familiar with the Fantastic Four. Uh, they keep teasing it uh, with zero announcements. They just keep teasing it. Uh, the, the I mean, they, they've they announced like the film. Well, they didn't give it a date or anything. They just put a four up at the end oh. of their presentation where they were announcing all their other films. Right. In the stylized Fantastic Four logo. Um, but I, I don't think it had a date attached or anything. And they've never announced a writer or, you know, director and certainly no casting. When we do, whenever we do, I don't think, like when we get a Fantastic Four movie, I don't think we're going to see Franklin. I mean, I don't think we're going to see Herbie unless it's, um, you know, like a tongue in cheek reference. Uh, I, th- I think there's a better chance of seeing Herbie than there is of seeing Franklin. But it, w- it would be like for one scene, <laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm. just floating around in the background of Mr. Fantastic's lab or a quick conversation with this robot that he's tinkering with. Um, something along, and- along those things. Or those and it de- it really depends on like a lot of factors for what sort of tone they go for and what sort of story they're telling. I mean, there there's certainly options where they could go into the, like the bigger family and already have Franklin as part of it. Um, but my guess is that we wouldn't initially have that. But you never know. Um, I'm sorry, Andrew. I've got to circle back to one thing that you said way way earlier. Um, apparently, I'm I'm looking at Herbie's entry on Wikipedia. In what was I Iron Man 2020. Do you know this comic book? When was that being done? Um 
I don't. Was it released in 2020 or was it? I'm the not older sure. One? I'm not seeing it. But it's apparently because Herbie because there. I think there was an book. Iron Man. There was an Iron Man 2020 in like the 80s, which was a like this is Tony's future nephew taking on the role of Iron Man, and I think that's he's shown up as like an alternate Iron Man in in multiverse stories. Yeah, um, Arno Stark, just like Blood. Yeah, just like Bloodstorm shows up, you'll get Iron Man 2020 as Arno Stark, and it's like, oh, he's a future kind of rougher around the edges Iron Man. Yeah. But then I think in 2020, they actually did Iron Man 2020. So I'm not sure if this is from 2020 that they were doing it, uh, or, or if it's or one of those earlier ones, but apparently in an Iron Man 2020 comic, Herbie appears as a member of the AI army. <laughs> and uh, it says, Herbie and Quasimodo raid a Futura Motors testing site and use an uninhibitor to free the robotic crash test dummies. So, All right. There, there, there's a plot. <laughs> He's got a dark future. <laughs> yes. Joining an AI army. Uh, anyway, do you have any final thoughts on Herbie and Franklin Richards or any anyone else that we see? Squid Kid, uh, you know, Invisible Woman, Mr. Fantastic. Anyone we see in these comics? Um, I really hope that Squid Kid just is happy in life. <laughs> he and um, uh i, I hope Monkey. they made it work or no yeah. ocean ape <laughs> i i hope they made it work made it work out um and um it's like it's a good young ages comic book right mm-hmm. like this is really good for your kids under 10 who aren't necessarily interested in reading all the books all the time like give them some comic books periodically and this would be a, an excellent option for that because it it hits home for that age group, for sure. Yeah, and it's it's just charming. Uh, it, like it's a fun read. It's not. Uh, we're not going to dig out the deepest themes. Like we 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 always try and find something, and you know, there's a few things here and there. Uh, to 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 talk about in terms of the stories and maybe you know the nature of comedy and whatnot. But it's it's not. Um, you know, trying to. Uh, you know, solve the world's problems or or comment on the human condition in any way. It's trying to be an enjoyable diversion, and it it does that like it fulfills the measure of its creation in being an enjoyable diversion uh, for uh, readers to just go and, and visit and, and enjoy. And on the one hand, like I want more, but also it's kind of fun that it's like my kids can read the entirety of Franklin Richards, you know, uh, and, and know that they've done the whole thing. And that is a, uh, is something that um, is maybe intimidating or, uh, can be hard with some of the larger ongoing works that just kind of never seem to end. And so for me to be able to hand them and say, here's all the Franklin Richards and they read it and they enjoy it and they reread it. Uh, and, and that's satisfying. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com, or also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Jadorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Dismanit, and our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So I talked more than normal today. So, you know, I just got to keep keep the instrument pure. Uh-huh. Um, lemon and honey. Yeah, I got some honeyed apple cider.